G'day mate, 40 here, so we finally get to see the indictment and it's absolutely pathetic. I mean, it completely relies on, even the New York Times says it relies on a completely novel approach to this kind of felony conviction, right? A completely untested legal theory. At the same time, Alvin Bragg, the, the New York City District Attorney, he's trying to make the point that everyone's equal before the law. He's just enforcing the law, but he is depending upon an entirely untested, you know, brand new, entirely novel uh, legal argument to try to go after Donald Trump. I mean, now that we have the indictment, it is terrible. I mean, it is pathetic. Uh, I, I'm thinking that there's some kind of some kind of pattern here about people who want to be the big man but they just don't have what it takes. I mean, this is an embarrassment. I haven't heard one person, one thoughtful commentator who says that the indictment has exceeded their expectations or that they've been impressed by it. I mean, even the left finds this indictment a, a dramatic letdown. Uh, it, it's incredible how, how bad it is. Uh, you would think to do something so unprecedented that he'd have his ducks in a row, but no, he doesn't. So let's get a burst from Tucker Carlson. It could happen here, folks. It could happen here. And welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Donald Trump, as you no doubt know, was arraigned in a Manhattan court today. The former president is back in Florida at this hour and scheduled to speak in just a moment from Mar-a-Lago. This feels significant, so we're going to take his remarks live as soon as they begin. But before we get there, it's worth understanding what it is we've just seen. Often the clearest perspectives on our country come from outside its borders. With distance comes clarity. So with that in mind, here is Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele on Twitter today. Quote, think what you want about former President Trump and the reasons he's being indicted, Bukele wrote. But just imagine if this happened in any other country where a government arrested the main opposition candidate. The United States' ability to use, quote, democracy as foreign policy is gone. Thousands of miles from New York City, in the heart of Central America, it is very obvious what just happened at that Manhattan courthouse. It's obvious to many Democrats, too. Trump was criminally charged because he is planning to challenge Joe Biden in the upcoming presidential election. It's really that simple. If Donald Trump had retired in 2020, would he have been arraigned today? Of course not. Top Democrats know that some effectively admit it. The liberal blog Politico this morning ran a piece describing what it called President Joe Biden's most senior advisors, predicting that Trump will be the Republican nominee and because he has now been charged with crimes, he will lose the general election. Thanks to this criminal case, the Biden White House believes that swing voters, the critical voters in a presidential election, are, quote, now permanently out of Trump's reach. And just to make certain that swing voters never Fall within Trump's reach, Donald Trump is scheduled to be back in court in New York with the accompanying media circus just weeks before the first Republican primary. This is the boldest election interference ever attempted in this country's history. And if you doubt that, if you think it's maybe on the level, then we suggest you look carefully at the indictment that was unveiled today. Donald Trump, as you probably heard, has been charged with 34 separate crimes. Those crimes turn out on close examination to be the same crime repeated 34 times. And that crime is, quote, falsifying business records in the first degree. So the Manhattan DA alleges that Donald Trump sent his own money to various people for various entirely legal reasons, 
but didn't account for it correctly in his office records. That's what he's accused of. And even if what Alvin Bragg has said Trump did, he actually did do, Trump could not be charged with that because the statute of limitations has expired. So the question is, how did Alvin Bragg drag Donald Trump into court today? Well, he did it by claiming that Trump falsified business records as a means of violating some other much more serious law. That's what he's saying. Here is Alvin Bragg today. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York State. No matter who you are, we cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. So here's what Bragg just said, in case you weren't paying attention to the lecture. Donald Trump has committed a crime not by changing business records, but by changing business records in order to conceal another more serious crime or to defraud somebody. So let's take it this in order. What is the more serious crime? Well, we have no idea <laughs> because Bragg hasn't told us. No such more serious crime is listed in the indictment. And critically, and this really is the point, Donald Trump has not been charged with another more serious crime. So what we have as of tonight is an indictment that does not allege specific violations of the law. Well, that's, of course, unconstitutional, but it's also farcical. What about the fraud claim you just heard Bragg make on television? Well, Bragg claims that Trump sent money to Stormy Daniels in order to influence the outcome of the 2016 election, and in so doing... He tried to, quote, defraud voters. Well, that turns out to be an actual crime that's on the books. Bragg is claiming that Donald Trump committed a campaign finance violation, which is a federal crime, by the way. The problem is he did not commit a campaign finance violation. Nobody is claiming that he did, including the Federal Election Commission, which has investigated this question. So as a legal matter, the case brought today, the 34 felonies, make no sense at all. It's ridiculous. But as a political tactic, which is precisely what it is, it is likely to be effective. And that's why the media so fervently supports it. Watch. A kind of an alliance between different groups that have a history of being dispossessed and discriminated against, whether they are Jews or black Americans or LGBT folks that might come together to push back against the white Christian nationalist assault on American democracy. Well, you don't know what part this man might play in the future of our democracy. This campaign of disinformation that's continuously undermining our democracy. One day people will look back and say how we've handled this, this issue of Trump, how, how, it, how it affects our democracy, really could be a major, major uh, event, could be a big turning point, one way or the other. The federal prosecutors have said this is a crime that imperils our democracy. So it imperils our democracy, and because we care so deeply about democracy, we're going to prevent the leading candidate and the other party from running for president, not let voters vote for him. Notice there was not one word about any crime here. 
meaning a violation of statute. So what is this really about? Well, you may have heard MSNBC guest Peter Beinart describe today's circus in Manhattan as part of a larger offensive by a coalition of the aggrieved, and we're quoting, to push back against the white Christian nationalist assault on American democracy. Now, in case you're waiting to hear the real motive here, wait no longer, there it is. Let that sink in. Does that sound like justice to you? Or does that sound like tribal justice? What's, well, of course, exactly what it is. Now, we're waiting, as we told you at the top, for Donald Trump to speak about all of this from Palm Beach, Florida. But in the meantime, there is a legal process underway, of course. We'd like to get the latest on it. Alina Haba is an attorney who represents Donald Trump, and she joins us tonight. Alina Haba, thank you so much for coming on. So, unless we're misreading this, the actual... Okay, we'll keep an eye on uh, the news, but... Uh... I would like to hear what uh, Alan Dershowitz has to say. He's a smart, accomplished attorney. Here he is. It'd be a smoking gun. It would help the American yeah. system. It would I help. Agree. But there's nothing here. Here's the theory. Bragg's theory, broken down, is this. When Donald Trump paid $130,000 to make sure that Stormy Daniels didn't embarrass him in front of his wife, his children, his business associates, when he paid the $130,000, he knew he had to immediately list the $130,000 and describe the reason he paid it as hush money to a former porn star in order to stop her from testifying about his adulterous affair. Would anybody in the history of the world ever pay hush money if they knew they had to honestly disclose it? I mean, hush money goes back to Alexander Hamilton. It's one of the oldest phenomenon in American history. I challenge Bragg. He said, he looked the American public in the eye, and he said, I have prosecuted cases like this. It's our bread and butter, including sexual cases. D.A. Bragg named one case where anybody has ever prosecuted somebody for not honestly disclosing the fact that he paid hush money to cover up a sexual matter. It's never happened. It would never have happened if this was not Donald Trump. This is part of get Trump. And this comes from a liberal Democrat who maintains his right as a constitutional manner to vote against, to vote against Donald Trump for the third time. And But I want to make sure that the American public decides the next election and not D.A. Bragg, a Democrat, who promised, he promised his potential jurors, vote for me, and I will make sure I get Trump. That isn't yeah. justice. And I, I agree with you on the charges. I mean, if, if Bragg had alleged a drug-related murder spree or something, you'd be like, okay, you know, we should look at this. But this is, a, this is an insult, sure. I think, to the system. Alan Dershowitz, appreciate your coming on. Thank you. Thank you. So it was, of course, a spectacle today in New York. That was the entire point of it, to terrify voters in a general election from voting for Trump. A judge let a photographer into the courtroom in addition to sketch artists. So media outlets had pictures of Donald Trump in court. They aired these all afternoon. But these same media outlets insisted they were actually very somber, approaching this whole situation with the respect it was due. My thought is it's a very sad day for America. If you don't see this, it's a sad day for America. It's just so serious and solemn. There is a sadness, I, I think, uh, that we got to this point in America. Well, it is a sad day for America. It is a serious night and a somber moment for our country. This should be a somber moment, right? I have a lot of friends on the, on the left side of the spectrum who are doing a happy dance right now, and I don't think that's appropriate. 
<laughs> it's just not it's just not appropriate. Meek is very sad as if she had authentic feelings of any kind. Steve Krakauer covers television. He is the author of the book Uncovered. He joins us tonight. I mean, why not? Look, the falseness, I think, comes right through on the tube. Like, there's one thing viewers can perceive immediately. It's whether the person is real. And to say you're really sad about a day you've been praying for at your altar to bail in your living room or whatever, like, that's unbelievable, right? No, you, they, they can barely contain the glee that they have just salivating about the—and, the, the, of course, they, all they wanted was the mugshot. They couldn't even get the mugshot. They let the, the, uh, the, the, the photographer into the courtroom, which is pretty rare, because they couldn't even get the mugshot that they've been craving for months or years going back. I, look, this is all a symptom of the Trump addiction that goes back really eight years. They've been craving this moment. They, they have this very deep— sick love-hate relationship with Donald Trump. Yeah. And this is all playing yes. out now. I, I think the biggest tell is you look in New York, the streets of New York, when there's more media reporters and photographers than protesters, you know it's all a sham and all a show and all a circus. And they can't even pretend. No one believes that they actually think that this is some serious thing. As you lay out in the open, Tucker, that if they actually explain to the audience what this is, then the audience would understand that the entire coverage, the whole thing that they've built, is all a house of cards. So they have to pretend that it's about democracy and racism when, when we actually really know what it's all about, which is their deep love and hate for Donald Trump. But at a certain point, I mean, they accused him of betraying his country and committing treason, a death penalty offense and all that. And it's really come down to his accountant put the wrong heading on, on a column. I mean, that's and really all that what it's really is. Now, well, the, the media, yeah, they can't, they can't say that. But they also know. I, I think it's very clear that they know this is not going to get Donald Trump in jail or even dropping right. out of the GOP race, and they don't want that. They, of course, they want him running, as you mentioned, the political story. This is exactly what they want. They want him kind of beat up a little bit. But then, actually, the GOP nominee, and if he was really this threat to America, as they proclaim that he is. Why would you want this person being the one of two people to be the next president? And this is only going to help him, as, as it did in 2016. They've learned nothing from what they did only seven years ago. Well, and if you believed in democracy, you would let voters make that choice, because that's what a democracy is, a system which the voters choose, uh, not the TV pundits and George Soros. Steve Krakauer, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Tucker. So, as we told you at the top, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, has charged the Republican frontrunner with an indictment that does not even specify a crime. So, whether you hate Trump, it doesn't really matter how you feel about Trump. If you care about the system that we've lived under for these hundreds of years and we're justly proud of, maybe you should say something about this. Has anybody who didn't vote for Trump, other than Dershowitz, who you just saw, said a word about it. Well, Tulsi Gabbard ran for president as a Democrat, served in the Congress, of course, from Hawaii. She joins us tonight. Congressman, thank you so much for coming on. So, Thanks. I mean... Okay, when, when uh, Donald Trump speaks, this will be the first time that I can remember I'm going to be interested in what Trump has to say. I, I find it stunning that the left-wing, you know, intelligentsia, right, left-wing legal minds, right, they were salivating at the prospect of Donald Trump getting invited and charged, but none of them say that they're impressed by what Alvin Bragg has done. He is clearly, he is clearly out of his depth. He's clearly incompetent. He's clearly one of those types who wants to be the big man, but doesn't have the substance to back it up. I'm going to absolutely keep an eye here on the Fox News coverage, look to see when when Donald Trump starts uh, speaking, and. Doug Garnett, he's he's coming out now, so 
I'm I'm surprised that the indictment is as weak as it is. This is I expected it to be weak, and yet I'm contradicting myself, and yet I'm surprised it it is that weak. Like my my sane mind said, this is weak. This is a really weak case, but a part of me thought, yeah, surely they, they have something more that they're going to bring to the table, but they didn't. That you would use an entirely novel legal theory completely untested to try to go after Donald Trump like a matter of such high stakes and you're using a technique that has never been tested which plenty of people on the left think is highly dubious like Vox right, has come out saying that this is really weak. I mean Vox the left wing news media outlet you know, looked at the indictment and said you know, Albert Bragg is depending upon an entirely novel legal argument right if you're going to do something like this that is you know, has has such dramatic potential all right i mean this could very well unleash all sorts of local prosecutors going after democrats now i mean you can't punch someone in the face and expect there will be no consequences right? there's going to be blowback i mean they raided his home for memorabilia right the attorney general sent the fbi to raid Donald J. Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago about nine months ago for memorabilia. And now they have indicted him on a felony over minor bookkeeping matters, you know, way past the statue of expiration. And I am not, you know, a firebrand Donald Trump supporter. And I'm happy to read and listen to and consider left-wing critiques. Uh, you know, I'm far from a Trump partisan. save our country. God bless you all. God bless you all. And I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. From the beginning, the Democrats spied on my campaign. Remember that? They attacked me with an onslaught of fraudulent investigations. Russia, Russia, Russia. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The illegal and unconstitutional raid on Mar-a-Lago right here. The lying to the FISA courts the FBI and DOJ relentlessly pursuing Republicans, the unconstitutional changes to election laws by not getting approvals from state legislators, the millions of votes illegally stuffed into ballot boxes and all caught on government cameras, and just recently, the FBI and DOJ in collusion with Twitter and Facebook in order not to say anything bad about the Hunter Biden laptop from hell, which exposes the Biden family as criminals and which, according to the pollsters, would have made a 17-point difference in the election result. 
And we needed a lot less than that, like about 16.9. It would have been in our favor. Not my favor, our favor, because our country is going to hell. And we remember the 51 intelligence agents who said Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. It didn't exist. It was Russian disinformation. Remember that? And that was all confirmed strongly by the FBI when they all knew that it wasn't Russian disinformation. And so much more. Our elections were like those of a third world country. And now this massive election interference at a scale never seen before in our country, beginning with the radical left, George Soros-backed prosecutor Alvin Bragg of New York, who campaigned on the fact that he would get President Trump. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. This is a guy campaigning. He wanted to get President Trump at any cost, and this before he knew anything about me, didn't know a thing about me. He was campaigning. As it turns out, virtually everybody that has looked at this case, including rhinos and even hardcore Democrats, say there is no crime and that it should never have been brought. Never have been brought. Everybody. Even people that aren't big fans have said it. They said, this is not the right thing to do. It's an insult to our country, as the world is already laughing at us for so many other reasons, like our open borders, our incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan, where we left behind American citizens, $85 billion worth of the best military equipment in the world, lost 13 magnificent young lives and far too many to mention that are so badly hurt with the loss of arms and legs and facial obliteration. The most embarrassing time in our country's history, in my opinion. Then our give up on energy independence and even energy dominance. We're going to be dominant within six months, more than any other nation times two. We had this all just three years ago, our raging Crime statistics, if you look in Democrat-run cities, numbers the likes of which we have never seen before, the open threats by various countries of the use of nuclear weapons, something never mentioned or discussed by outside nations during the Trump administration and which could very well lead under the Biden administration's leadership to an all-out nuclear world war three can happen. We're not very far away from it, believe it or not. An economy that has been crippled by the biggest inflation we have seen in more than 60 years, and a military that I used to defeat ISIS in four weeks. They said it would take four years, four weeks, to kill al-Baghdadi and Soleimani that has now gone woke at the top levels by trying to indoctrinate everyone down to the lowest-ranking patriot. But now they have really stepped up their efforts by indicting the 45th president of the United States who received <laughs> 75 million votes, which is more than any sitting president 
in the history of our country. And in the wings, they've got a local racist Democrat district attorney in Atlanta who is doing everything in her power to indict me over an absolutely perfect phone call, even more perfect than the one I made with the president of Ukraine. Remember, I kept, kept saying, that's a perfect call. This one was more perfect. <laughs> Nobody said, sir, you shouldn't say that. Many people on the phone were hung up in disgust because of something I inappropriately said, because nothing was said wrong. In fact, at the end of the call, we agreed to continue our conversation about election fraud and election fraud, specifically in Georgia, at a later time. Many people on the phone, including lots of lawyers, nobody found anything wrong with that perfect call until a book promotion tour many months later. All of a sudden, they say, you know, I remember Trump making a call. Let's look at that. This fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election, and it should be dropped immediately, immediately. <laughs> Then you have a radical left lunatic known as a bomb thrower who is harassing hundreds of my people day after day over the boxes hoax. You know, the boxes hoax, as we call it. Just so everyone knows, I come under what's known as the Presidential Records Act, which was designed and approved by Congress long ago just for this reason. Under the act, I'm supposed to negotiate with NARA, the National Archives and Records Administration, which as of this date is a radical left troublemaking organization that red flags the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights as dangerous and triggering. Can you imagine? This is what we have to deal with. But there is no criminality under the Presidential Records Act. That is not what it's all about. We were negotiating in very good faith, proper way, in order to return some or all of the documents that I openly and in very plain sight brought with me to Mar-a-Lago from our beautiful White House, just as virtually every other president has done in the past. When FBI and DOJ officials with NARA were here, I told my lawyer to show them the very secure storage room in which they were locked. The FBI's sole request in writing was, could you please put another lock on the door? We immediately complied. It's a lot different than the Biden situation, isn't it? The next thing I know, we were raided by many gun-toting FBI agents who took whatever they wanted, including my passports and medical records. Everybody was in shock. Nobody had ever heard of such a raid before. We can't even believe it. Who would think that that could happen today? I immediately thought of the Fourth Amendment that protects against unreasonable search and seizure. But they did it anyway because our justice system has become lawless. They're using it now in addition to everything else, to win elections. Apparently, they're not looking at me through the view of the non-criminal Presidential Records Act. 
They came up with a new one. This is a new one. And they're looking at me through the Espionage Act. Think of that. How does that sound? Of 1917, where the penalty is death. Even though that has absolutely nothing to do with openly taking boxes of documents and mostly clothing and other things to my home, which President Obama has done, the Bushes have done, Jimmy Carter has done, Ronald Reagan has done. Everybody's done. In fact, Hillary Clinton got rid of 33,000 emails, and that was okay. But nobody's done it like Joe Biden. This lunatic special prosecutor named Jack Smith, I wonder what it was prior to a change, <laughs> who others of his ilk say he's even worse than they are, is only looking at Trump, yet Joe Biden took massive amounts more documents, even removed many boxes to Chinatown. You believe that? Just got $10 million from China. Where did that come from? I guess they were banking on Hunter's expertise <laughs> and had others stored in unsecured offices in Pennsylvania and strewn all over his garage floor where his now very famous Corvette is also stored. All over the floor, including classified documents. But that's okay. Perhaps most importantly, he has 1,850 boxes in Delaware which he is refusing to give up. But isn't that real obstruction? That's obstruction. As president, I have the right to declassify documents. And the process is automatic if I take them with me. It's automatic, declassified. Biden was vice president. He had absolutely no right to declassify as vice president. He doesn't come under the non-criminal Presidential Records Act. He comes under the very criminal Federal Records Act, unfortunately for him, but it's not going to matter because they don't follow the law, which has very severe penalties. He had classified documents that he took while he was a senator, which is absolutely inexcusable. And other senators, including Democrats, are outraged. But he's not being harassed and hounded like the people who work for me are. In fact, they seem to have forgotten about his documents entirely. So many, thousands and thousands, it's okay with him. They like to say that I'm obstructing, which I'm not, because I was working with NARA very nicely until the raid on my home. But Biden is obstructing by making it impossible to get the 1800 and 50 boxes or explain why many documents were located in Chinatown. Can't explain it. Why were they in Chinatown? I don't know. Lastly, I'm under investigation. This time a civil investigation by another racist in reverse who also campaigned on, I will get Trump. I will get him. This was her campaign. Never ran for office. I will get him. Her name is Letitia James. And she proclaimed while campaigning, quote, I look forward to going into the office of the Attorney General every single day, suing him, and then going home. Before she knew me. She announced, what is fueling my soul right now is Trump. And that she had her eyes on Trump Tower. Those eyes are focused on Trump Tower. 
didn't know the young lady. She even assured her supporters. Okay, if he says anything significant, we'll, we'll get the highlights. Now, there was some good stuff on Twitter, I just noticed. And uh, perhaps most importantly, a tweet by Elbridge Colby, right? National security expert. Now, it's not clear that this is the actual news is accurate, but it does bear on a question which is accurate. So U.S. has apparently suspended delivery of HIMAR-launched smart bombs to Taiwan as Ukraine needs them on top priority. So Taiwan is a vital American national security interest. If the Chinese take over Taiwan, right, they will intimidate all sorts of American allies such as Korea, Vietnam, Philippines, uh, Japan, Australia. Okay, so China will push out into the Pacific Ocean. It's It would be a major defeat for the United States if Taiwan falls to the Chinese. And we are apparently, perhaps, uh, suspending delivery of smart bombs to Taiwan to send them to Ukraine, where we have zero national security interests. And I like the Financial Times. It's a newspaper for the elite. But the, the most prestigious columnist in the world right now is Janan Ganesh. He's from Sri Lanka. And he just had a column today, ironically, the false choice of confronting Russia or China. U.S. conservatives can't see that Ukraine's survival strengthens America's hand in Asia. So he is all on board with America subsidizing Ukraine, risking World War III, which I think is just absolutely insane position. This is the most prestigious columnist in the world today. And this idea that you can... You can massively subsidize Ukraine, but it won't come at any cost. It won't diminish American national security interests. It won't uh, increase the odds of World War III. It won't increase the odds of a nuclear exchange with Russia. It won't distract us from that which is important. Look, you only have 24 hours in a day. You have about eight hours to sleep. You typically, we need about eight hours a day to work. You, the typical person only has one, two, possibly three spare hours a day. And if you don't spend that time on your highest priorities, right, you're not going to get anything done. You're just going to waste yourself. And America is wasting itself supporting Ukraine and just placing Europe in a terrible situation. So it, it's insane, the, the $70 billion plus that we've used on Ukraine. So looks like Donald Trump has wrapped up his talk. He, he didn't really say much. Okay. So, okay, here's the, right, I wanted to hit another point on Twitter, right, interesting point, perhaps by, can't believe it. Who's that bloke, Mike? Oh, I, I can't even, Mike, the gorilla mindset guy, he said that they're trying to intimidate Trump supporters with this indictment. They're, they're trying to make Trump supporters fear for their well-being. And... I think there's something to that. All right, and let's get a quick uh, commentary here, just just uh, 44 seconds from John Yu. There's a big hole in this case and this indictment and the statement of facts that were released with it do nothing to fill that hole, which is how do you turn this misdemeanor, which you had to bring two years, within two years of the crime, how does it get elevated into a felony? Well, as you said, and the press conference showed, Bragg says, oh, it's because he was fixing the books to conceal another crime. 
he nowhere explains in the indictment or in the statement of facts what that other crime is. We're left hanging. And if we don't know, I think this is a huge hole in the indictment. I think the defense attorneys are going to be all over it, especially if Bragg tries to say, oh, it's about somehow defrauding the entire voting public of New York or of the whole country. The most telling thing is the left, which would celebrate a Trump indictment and not celebrating the particulars of this indictment. You don't find, you know, all sorts of like left wing elites and left wing legal scholars and leading left wing attorneys, you know, saying what a, a profound and devastating indictment this is. It, it is really weak, 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 weak. Yeah, Donald Trump's still still speaking. Okay, here is the larger point that I wanted to make. Just uh Two minutes here on mental health as the foundation for my bigger point. Everybody, and welcome to this video on 35 trauma-informed cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. As the title implies, in this video, we're going to review 35 cognitive behavioral therapy tools that can be used to help people feel safer and more empowered. Now, if you're looking for a specific tool... Okay, that's the key. A large part of mental health is simply feeling appropriate levels of safety and appropriate levels of alarm, right? You don't want to be feeling alarmed or anxious, right? Anxiety, right, is an evolutionary designed system to put you ready and alert for danger. But if you're feeling anxious when there isn't imminent danger, that is a malfunction. So something that uh, pundits should be doing and live streamers should be doing or anyone who wants to speak to the public and have an influence you should be trying to enhance people's understanding of what is you know an appropriate level of safety and when should you feel appropriately alarmed and and anxious that's like just that's a large part of mental health right there just understanding what's an appropriate level of safety like is our nation in a civil war as dennis prager has been saying for for 20 years all right if you believe that we're in a civil war you're going to have all sorts of needless anxiety you can be much less functional. There are timestamps down in the video notes, just FYI, because 35 is a lot of tools. So that can help you jump around a little bit more if you need to. In terms of the principles of trauma-informed cognitive behavioral therapy, the goal is to use people's strengths, build on what they're already doing, help people recognize that they are the experts on their own lives and tools and strategies they've developed in order to cope with stress, cope with life until now, may not be the most... Right, and, and telling people who, let's say, the average person, all right, has a family, has a job, right, ha has hobbies and interests, and to tell him that he's living in a civil war and that he needs to be speaking out about the Trump indictment. And yeah, he'll make a lot of enemies, right, and he may very well get fired and turn his life upside down, but he needs to speak out, right? That's the opposite of, like, pastoral concern. That's the opposite of, of common sense. That's the opposite of mental health. You know, telling people that you're in a war. Right? Tell people you're in a war. All right, you are, to the extent that they take you seriously, all right, rather than just uh, ridiculously, right, you are upping their anxiety levels and making people less happy, less healthy, less effective in life. Most effective may not necessarily be the most helpful, like in the case of addictions, but they were developed to help that person survive, help them see the survivor in themselves. We want to help them identify secondary effects of trauma, like depression, anxiety, poor communication skills, abandonment anxiety. You know, there's a whole host of things. Help them see how that's maybe related to trauma and promote self-care. Help them develop tools so they can start moving toward the rich and meaningful life that they envision. 
Right. So when you're promoting civil war, when you're promoting, you know, going to war with your family and neighbors over the Trump indictment, you're promoting unnecessary trauma. You're promoting the unnecessary splintering of vital human relationships. All right. If you lose your relationship with your boss, if you lose having, you know, cordial relations with your coworkers, your neighbors, your your family, all right, your your community, I mean, your life is going to take a tremendous downturn. Right. So promoting the poison that Dennis Prager has just been pumping out for years is just a terrible, terrible thing to do. Yeah, even if it gets you a prestigious nationally syndicated radio show. So this is Dennis Prager today. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. My column comes out on Tuesdays, and today is Tuesday. And it is titled, Could It, could it Happen Here? It Is Already Happening. My whole life, I've heard that question, could it happen here? And the reference was to, generally was to Nazism, but basically to the, the end of democracy and freedom in the United States. And I always felt it could not, I mean, I, I knew theoretically it could happen because human beings uh, are human beings and human nature is not basically good. Nevertheless, I, like most Americans, walked through life quite confident that the land of the free, the home of the free and the land of the brave would continue to be at least the land of the free. It's not, it's now, it's not the home of the brave. Right, saying, could it happen here? It is happening here. He's invoking Nazism. That is what could it happen here? That is what that phrase primarily refers to, Nazism. He's saying that we are living in a, in a, a Nazi situation, that we are about to tumble into a Third Reich situation, that we are on the verge of mass genocide. Right? This is the very opposite of good mental health, common sense, decency, kindness, anything good, anything sane, anything that helps people's lives. This is just absolute poison to push this in many instances, and it is not the land of the free, and it is happening in real... Oh, America is not the land of the free. Okay, so America is on planet Earth where one freedom will always circumscribe another freedom. Okay, but uh, what other countries out there are the land of the free? And if you can't say, oh, you know, this country is so much more free than the United States, and this country is so much more free than the United States, then saying that the United States is no longer the land of the free just lacks any meaning. Yeah, according to some perfect ideal, the United States is a terribly repressive country. Compared to other countries on planet Earth, the United States is still you know, a pretty free place. Like, where do you think there's more freedom? Nigeria, Korea, Japan, Russia, Poland, France, England, Canada, Venezuela, Cuba? And you'll hear Dennis Prager say, we are already living like Venezuela and Cuba. Do you know how bad life is in Venezuela and Cuba? Do you know the, the struggle just to get enough to eat that people in Venezuela have? How, how that country has just gone to absolute hell? And to say that you're living in among the most prosperous free nations on earth and it's the equivalent to living in Cuba and Venezuela is just insane. Real time, we are becoming like the Soviet Union. This is not in any way at all an exaggeration. I took a vow never to... We're becoming like the Soviet Union, Soviet communism, which killed millions upon millions upon millions of people. Some people put it at 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 40 million people that uh, Joseph Stalin killed. And we're becoming like that, a mass slaughter factory, a mass genocide factory. And he's claiming he's not exaggerating. He doesn't engage in hyperbole. All right. He says this insane thing that we're becoming like the Soviet Union. And then... 
he, he wants to emphasize that he doesn't overstate his case. To exaggerate because you lose your credibility over time. I have 40 years of broadcasting as a record of telling the truth, not overstating. In fact, trying always to understate and to calm people's fears. However, right now we are sliding into a Soviet-like system. And the, the parallels are frightening. We even have... And I don't... The parallels are frightening that we're becoming like the Soviet Union? I mean, I've read, I don't know, probably 20 books on, on the Soviet Union. It's absolutely absurd to think that we're becoming like the Soviet Union. Okay. I wonder if uh, Tucker Carlson has any interesting analysis of Donald Trump's speech. Intensity, Trump didn't beat around the bush at all. He called the independent counsel looking into the document case appointed by the uh, Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, an open partisan. He called the that independent counsel a lunatic uh, about five times and alluded to the legal threats people around him have been getting, which is pretty common in these things. Almost nobody ever talks about it, but Trump just did, as you heard. So we spoke for about maybe 25 minutes. Will Kane is co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend. He was watching carefully and joins us with what he believes the big takeaways were. Will Kane, thanks a lot for coming on. So what you, what'd you take from that? I appreciate you asking me Tucker, what the big takeaway was, because I think Donald Trump came out loose, aggressive, and clear-eyed about the big takeaway. He quickly yeah. broadened the scope beyond the prosecution there in New York, Tucker. He said, "That's right." And the, the system has responded to Donald Trump like a foreign, a foreign substance, a foreign body, and he is to the system. It's flooded with antibodies to destroy Trump. And he quickly pivoted to talking about that broader effort, the witch hunt, to destroy Trump. And if you think about it, Tucker, the DOJ the FBI, state AGs, local prosecutors, the media, uh, the military-industrial complex, much of his own political party, have all put forth a very well-funded, at this point, eight- to nine-year investigation and effort to destroy Trump. And what have they come up with at the end of the day, Tucker? A misdemeanor bookkeeping charge. That's it. You know, people yeah. say in New York, they say in New York, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. A lot of people don't know there's a second stanza to that, to that saying. It's, but you better have impeccable bookkeeping once you make it. <laughs> you know, we cannot promise. We can't promise you're going to get to work without being stabbed. But if you do make it without being shoved in front of the subway, once you get there, you better have perfect record keeping. We're going to be on that like white on rice. And that is what they've been able to come up with so far in this witch hunt, which has spanned almost a decade. Every institution of the federal government, most of the private sector as well in terms of corporate media and and corporate America. And what they've managed to conjure up so far is misdemeanor bookkeeping, Tucker. I, I agree with that assessment. I I feel guilty ever watching a politician speak and then agreeing with it because it makes me feel like a shill, like everybody else on television. But in this case, Trump is absolutely right. This has nothing to do with his purported crimes, which are fake. It has to do with his views, which are terrifying to the people who run our government in a very undemocratic way, I would say. And he's absolutely right. And so are you. And, and you have to coming on. Yeah. Sorry, Will, can you we finish Thank that? Thank you, Tucker.
Okay. I was going to say, you have to, I appreciate your unwillingness and your, and your, your, your reticence to ever echo a politician's words. And I share that sentiment, Tucker. But we have to, and I know you do, look beyond this, beyond the yeah. lens of orange man bad. And we have to care about law and due process. And anyone that does can quickly see that what we have here is the abuse of a political system to manipulate an election. And if you doubt that, if you doubted it just beyond seeing the weakness of the case, I give you that the prosecution asked for their trial date to be January 2024, right That's when primaries exact, start. Exactly right. It's, this That's, is a political persecution. Okay, I largely agree with, with that assessment there from Will Kane and Tucker Carlson. Let's have a look at the chat. Uh, whatever happened to Jim Bowden? I don't know. He promised we were going to get together when I was in Sydney, but he just disappeared off the face of the earth as far as uh, I, I am concerned. Arresting a former president for BS is Soviet-like. I, I don't think so. If if uh, that was a prominent feature of the Soviet Union is arresting, uh, just indicting, you know, former leaders of, of Russia and then allowing them to, to walk free. Uh, no, I mean, this is something that New York has done. I mean, President Ulysses, ex-President Ulysses Grant was arrested for, for speeding. All right. So if, if uh, ex-president is drunk driving, that doesn't make it Soviet-like. So... He was arraigned, he was indicted, and then he was let go. There's, there's no resemblance there about uh, Soviets. Okay, Ukrainians are proto-Mesopotamians, says Luke. Who cares about Kremlin's war against Ukraine? Soviet Union is absolute evil. That's absurd. I never said anything about who cares about Kremlin's war against Ukraine. I said it It has nothing to do with vital American national interests. Right? I am emotionally 100% on the side of Ukraine. 100% on the side of Ukraine. I emotionally 100% support Ukraine, but I am America first. What are America's interests? America's interests have nothing to do with Ukraine in, in any direction. It just doesn't matter for vital American interests. Do I think, uh, who cares about uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Not at all. P people should care. I, I, I'm 100% emotionally on the side of Ukraine. And I hope I hope they uh, kick, I hope they kick, uh, you know, Russia's ass. That's just my emotional reaction to it. You know, with the with the plucky underdog. Soviet Union wasn't instantly a slaughter factory, bro. There was a period before that. I don't know when was the Soviet Union not a slaughter factory. I mean, they had a civil war going on. They cracked down as soon as they had power they were killing people as soon as they had power i mean the first first what six years of the nazi regime was far less bloody far less brutal far less murderous not even in the same ballpark comparing the first six years of the nazi regime with the first six years of the soviet union And uh, chat says, Trump cultists are the biggest threat to the world today. I say this as a former member. Exactly how are uh, Trump cultists a, a big threat to the world today? While the specifics of the arrest may be frivolous, one can't forget that Trump is a Russian agent. That's absolutely absurd. Whatever happened to Jonathan Bowden, he, he died. Okay. Victor Davis Hansen is sometimes decent. Let's let's give him a shot here. 
on Tucker. ...and wisest possible note, and of course you already know who's coming next, Victor Davis Hanson, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, joins us for the two minutes and ten seconds we have left. Professor, welcome. Thank you. Uh, well, Tucker, I think that we're, have, we're seeing war clouds gather abroad, and I think the United States economy, politically, foreign policy is at an adhere, and we've lost now all credibility that we've stored up over 233. We have no more moral credibility to lecture people about the democratic process, and your guests have spelled it out pretty well. They have an agenda, the left, that does not appeal to 51% of the people. So they attack the process and they attack the candidate. And what we're seeing is not the end of it. This tonight was the very beginning. This is going to go on through three prosecutors for a year and a half with the intent of getting just enough empathy for Donald Trump that he would be nominated and then seeing him gag ordered, hemorrhaged, and maybe even incarcerated to nullify his viability in the general election. So it's the worst example of third world election tampering. And uh, they don't have a message, and so whether it's symbolically tearing up the State of the Union or denying the Speaker, uh, the minority leader in the House appointments or trying to uh, threaten the filibuster to be ended or the Electoral College or pack the court, uh, it's all processed because they don't have a message and they're desperate. They're revolutionaries. We're in the middle of a revolution that we don't even know that we're in. I think Donald Trump said as much as he could, but I imagine that in the next week we'll see a gag order leveled against him, and then the other prosecutors will be encouraged. And this is going to go on. This psychodrama is going to go on for a, a year and a half. Okay, I, I think uh, we're going to see a gag order. I would be surprised if we, if we see a gag order. Okay, looking at the chat, you're attacking aiding Ukraine, while countries like Qatar and Saudi Arabia received more American aid in 2022 than Ukraine did. That's absurd. Ukraine received about 50 billion American dollars in 2022. And then you say uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar paid for the aid out of pocket. Sure, that's not aid then. I didn't know what you're referring to. But uh, subsidizing Ukraine's fight with the Soviet Union seems to me as against America's best interests and against the best interests of Europe, Western Europe as well. But my primary interest is in, you know, what's good for the United States. Okay. Let's get a little bit more from Dennis Prager's show today. I can't believe I didn't put this in my column. <laughs> we have political prisoners, which I also never... Uh, when the left would say political prisoners, uh, I always... Guess what? We've always had political prisoners. The United States is a federal system. So Australia is also a federal system, but the varieties of the legal experience is far more dramatic in the United States than in Australia. When you travel around Australia is pretty much uniform style law enforcement and legal prosecution. In the United States, it's night and day, depending on where you are. So there have always been politically led uh, prosecutions throughout American history and throughout the history of any place that is a strongly federal system. So this, this idea that, oh, now for the first time we have political prisoners is absurd. We've always had political prisoners because we have a separation of powers, we have you know local autonomy, we have a federalized system, and people with power will tend to use it to reward their friends and punish their enemies. Now, compared to other nations, yeah, we have less corruption, all right? Anglo-Saxon nations, and the United States was, was founded at least as an Anglo-Saxon nation, as an Anglo-Saxon-inspired judicial system, they tend to be 
pretty much the least corrupt countries on earth. But even in the most Anglo-Saxon countries, of course, politics is going to play a role in law enforcement. The difference in intensity that uh, politics plays in law enforcement are right, considerably more muted in Anglo-Saxon countries than most other countries. But we've always had political prisoners. We will always have political prisoners. Law will never be purely objective. It will always depend upon subjective people enforcing the law. Bro, Israel versus Palestine debate with that obese kebab historian you had on the other night. Oh, okay. Um, let me play a little more here. He's defended the United States. It's saying that is not something we have. It is something we have now. Joe Biden would be completely comfortable in a Soviet Union setting. And so it kind of Harris, so with most of the members of the Democratic Party in Congress and in the gubernatorial positions, the press functions the way the Soviet press functioned as a mouthpiece for the... That's absurd. All right, if you can't see a difference between the New York Times and Pravda, CNN and Pravda, LA Times and Pravda, that's because you're willingly blind. All right, there's absolutely no comparison. All right, the American press is flawed. All right, the American press is uh, good at, you know, repeating to you what bureaucracies put out. All right, that's, you know, what the, the news media primarily does. Bureaucracies put out statements, information, and the news media reports that and interprets it sometimes. All right, that's what the news media does. But the idea that the United States is just like the Soviet Union, like where are the you know, tens of thousands of people getting slaughtered? The, the complete you know, abolition of all sorts of basic rights. Oh, are you allowed to leave the United States? Are you allowed to go to the church of your choice in the United States? Are you allowed to go to the synagogue of your choice? Are you allowed to convert to another religion in the United States? Are you allowed to stand up publicly and oppose the government? Okay, just so many basic rights that Americans retain that people very quickly lost in the Soviet Union. What an absurd analogy. The ruling party. And now the ultimate, the arrest on completely spurious charges. The man gave a hundred something thousand dollars to a woman to not talk about. Yeah, I agree. This is an arrest on completely spurious charges. And it was the ill-advised decision of the Manhattan district attorney. And even the left finds it very difficult this evening to praise him for being some kind of sharp legal mind. About uh, an alleged uh, tryst that they had. Th that, that is it. That's what we're talking about. When you want to jail your opponents, you'll find anything because you have the government's power behind you. You can find anything. There's an old phrase. Yeah. Federal prosecutors, state prosecutors, if they have the funds, right, and if they have the will, they can go after anyone. And this is, you know, something that goes right down through American history. I'm sure the history of other countries. People with power will tend to abuse it, right? Absolute power corrupts, you know, absolutely. And so when you have the power and you think you can get away with something, you will tend to abuse it. Right? This isn't brand new to Alvin Bragg. We've had you know, a long history of prosecutorial misconduct. We've had a long history of people getting indicted for completely spurious reasons. We have a long history of politically motivated prosecutions. And we will have more of them in the future. In the legal profession that you can indict a ham sandwich. In other words, anybody is indictable. That includes any one of you listening and me. Okay, let me give uh, Ukrainians a proto-Mesopotamians. It says, Qatar was given more arms in terms of worth than Ukraine was. Okay. 
That is due in large part to more advanced material being sold to Qatar than Iran. If uh, Trump was in office, he could disband NATO and leave all of Europe as a duck. Well, Trump was in office for four, hour, for four years. He did not disband NATO. I guess you would say that Europe is not a security interest. I don't really see that uh, NATO is a vital, serving a vital force for American national security right now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pushing for, for NATO to be disbanded. I just would be curious, what is the case for NATO and America's interests right now? I'm not sure. So I haven't been banging on, we need to disband NATO. To the extent I've been banging on about this topic, I would like someone to spell out now, how is NATO in America's vital security interests? And yeah, Europe is less important to us than Northeast Asia. Right? What happens with China and secondarily with Korea and Japan and Vietnam and the Philippines, Right? that is of much more vital interest to American national security than what goes on in Europe. Notice how Trump waited for every year to say anything regarding Ukraine. He was waiting for Russian propaganda to first take as much of an effect as possible before coming out. Well, I assume he didn't say much about Ukraine because it wasn't particularly important to American national interests, though provoking a war with Russia. That strikes me as being very much against America's national interests. Wouldn't NATO be a buttress against Russia? Russia is so weak, right? Why would we need it? It's not like Russia's going to invade the United States, right? Russia can't even pull off an invasion of Ukraine. Right? Russia is not acquitted itself very well in this war. Now, the truth is, it's not Russia versus Ukraine. It's Russia versus NATO. So... A large part of the reason that Russia has had such a difficult tie with this invasion is that it's going up against all sorts of NATO training and, you know, native armory. So Frederico says, Dennis Dale's latest micro stream was revelatory. Portland is going to hell. Yeah, I am more concerned about what's going on in Portland than I am with what is going on in Ukraine. But let me just lay the foundation just a little bit more. Right, what What is good mental health? The first and most basic tool is a behavioral one, and that is to create safety. We need to help people feel like they are safe so their HPA access or their threat response system can take a break. We don't want to have them feeling constantly hypervigilant, constantly being um, on guard and have an exaggerated startle, startle response. So if we can help them feel safer and uh, at home, in the car, anywhere else they spend a fair amount of time, it's going to reduce the intensity and maybe even the frequency that that stress response system is activated. It's going to help their body start to recalibrate. And that is wonderful. When they start feeling empowered, when they start looking at environments, at places, and saying, you know what, there are things that I can do to help myself feel safe. That is huge. Now, there's a lot of types of safety, though. And we need to help them create a sense of physical safety from self and others. Now, physical safety from others is pretty obvious. We want them to not be afraid that they're going to be assaulted or hurt in some way physically by another person. But safety from self is also important. We want them to feel like they have tools to deal with overwhelming emotions so they don't engage in uh, self-injurious behavior or addictive behaviors or other behaviors that could potentially be destructive. Affective or emotional and cognitive safety from self and others is another type of safety we need to help them develop. Recognizing that that inner critic in their head can feel very threatening, can feel very intimidating a lot of times, and can intensify trauma. 
helping them figure out how to deal with that inner critic. Right. Nothing good can happen until you feel safe. Right. People can't flourish when they feel unsafe. And promoting this idea that America is turning into Nazi Germany, that America is turning into the Soviet Union, that America is just as bad as Cuba and Venezuela, doesn't help people to feel safe. Right. Promoting the idea that we're in a civil war doesn't help people promote feel safe. All right. This increases anxiety, increases alienation from other people. It will reduce your social circle or make you less happy and less effective at life. This is so incredibly you know, poisonous what uh, Dennis Prager is pushing here. It is actually difficult to overstate what the left is doing to the United States and converting it into a Soviet-like country. It's difficult to overstate how we're becoming like the Soviet Union, the most murderous regime in, in human history. I mean, that's just insane, all right? Pushing that line and then claiming that he, he never overstates, that he doesn't use hyperbole, that he's you know very judicious with what he has to say, and then pushing this poison. 1-8 Prager, 7-7-6. It's very difficult to know exactly what to do. We have to change minds. That's, that's why I work so feverishly at this broadcast in my writing at PragerU. Okay, so here's a big difference between myself, Dennis Prager, almost all pundits of which I'm aware. I think that I have virtually no importance and there is almost no reason you should listen to me. I do this for fun, right? This is the equivalent for me. Instead of going to the gym or going to a Torah class or going to a chess match or playing video games or reading a book, this is like intellectual chess for me. I, I do it for fun this this you know deeply burden is so difficult to know what we should do the outside world is so incredibly complicated compared to what any one individual can possibly comprehend that the idea that you just like take the burdens of the world upon your shoulders is absurd you don't have that power right you don't have the ability to really you know understand so many different variables or any one individual can possibly see although the shadows dancing on the wall of the cave you can get a little clarity here you can get a little clarity there but this you know pompous ideal that oh so difficult to know what to do we're turning into the soviet union but uh, we've all got to fight guys it's it's silly it's silly now do i frequently have an exaggerated sense of my own importance yes it, it comes on me like a wave right uh, sometimes like, oh, I absolutely have to say this. It's important that I say this. You need to understand this. I've got, you know, a message is vital for people to hear. You know, I've got this great new insight, this great new idea. Yeah, that, I get swells of, of you know, self-importance. And, you know, we must deal with this right now. We must talk about this right now. But uh, I recognize it as, you know, swells that give me the energy to do this, you know, fun but, but challenging activity. But then I hope that I, like, let it go. And, you know, the plain fact is I'm just a bloke. I d I'm 56 years of age. I don't have, like, this long history of, of accomplishment behind me. You know, I'm not an important man. And I don't have a track record that says, oh, you should listen to me. I'm doing this for a bit of fun, recognizing, you know, my own limited ability to try to discern patterns in an incredibly complicated world. A right, little bit different approach here from Dennis Prager's. But 45% of young people in this country, as I reported a couple of years ago, 
say that they are not for free speech, for hate speech. So they are, they are the perfect products of a communist system. We say what is hate speech, and then we ban it, and you're okay with it. Okay, this idea that uh, if you think there's such a thing as hate speech, right, you're essentially a communist, is absurd. Right? Hate speech is a real legal category in almost every first world country. Now, I think hate speech is absurd. I don't want hate speech as a legal category. I think Americans who believe that you know hate speech should be banned, right, I think that's stupid, disgusting, wrong. But supporting, you know, banning on hate speech is not communist, right? Virtually every first world country outside of the United States has this. Like, what other first world countries have the equivalent of the First Amendment? I can't really think of them coming to hand. So virtually every first world country bans hate speech. It doesn't make them communist, right? They're, no, not every first world country is run by commies. It's run by lefties, all right, or people, you know, center-left, but... Uh, it's a long way from the motor factory of the Soviet Union. That's the way it works. In fact, to this day, Putin speaks of misinformation, just the way the Democratic Party and the New York Times speak of misinformation. Well, guess what? Different people experience the world differently, and so they perceive rhetoric and information used by people with a contrary agenda to them as misinformation. It's you know, normal, basic group differences, all right? People on the left and the right experience the world differently. They don't just see the world differently. They don't just uh, push forward different agendas for the world. They experience life differently because there is probably difference in the way that we're genetically wired and the way that we've had early imprinting to make us who we are. So, yeah, different groups experience the world differently. That has nothing to do with communism. It means whatever we don't want you to know. That's what misinformation means. Whatever we on the left do not want you to know. That is the current definition of misinformation. It uh, is a very bad day in America, and I don't know how many Americans perceive how serious it is. The tragedy, as always, is that liberals do not. Liberals will be crushed by, by the left when they... Liberals don't see how serious this is. I mean, the dominant liberal response to this event is solemn, is sad. I mean, that's that's what that they're putting forward publicly. So, yeah, I think politically engaged liberals see this as a very serious event. And politically engaged conservatives see this as a very serious event. Thank God 95% of the country is not deeply politically engaged. All right? If 95% of the country was deeply politically engaged, that we would be, you know, at loggerheads. We would be, you know, at war with each other. But luckily, most people put their priority on their families, right? Normal people care most about their spouse, their children, their parents, their siblings, their nieces, their nephews, their uncles, their aunties, maybe even a little bit about their cousins, their extended family, their friends, their community, right? The people that they socialize with and their work and their career trajectory, their hobbies and interests, that's where most people properly put their emphasis. Most people properly don't put their emphasis on the implications of the Trump indictment. Right? We do because it's a bit of fun for us. It's entertaining. It's uh, engaging. It's compelling. It's uh, a way of playing chess with reality. It's a way of playing chess with, with the news. They come to even more power and they will wonder, hmm, how did this happen? 
I thought I thought the right was the enemy, which is the great idiocy of the liberal. They're still fighting Republicans while the left. Well, who's the enemy? Depends on the situation, right? Situations is constantly changing. You never step in the same river twice because you've changed and the rivers changed since you last stepped into that river. So there are plenty of insane people on the right. There are plenty of insane people on the left. In different situations, you have different enemies. There are no permanent friends or permanent allies. You have a world that is frequently changing. You're stepping into new situations and the enemy is he who threatens to annihilate you and your people. Right? If if your group is threatened with annihilation, you are dealing with the enemy. If your group is not threatened with annihilation, you are not dealing with the enemy. You're dealing with an adversary, you're dealing with difference, right? You're dealing with politi- you know, normal politics, but uh, the enemy is he who threatens to annihilate your people. If you're not dealing with someone threatening to annihilate your people, and guess what? Alvin Bragg and Joe Biden do not have the ability nor the interest in annihilating your people. So if you live in the United States of America, you don't have an enemy in the Carl Schmittian sense of the term. Brushes them and everything they purportedly stand for. Sorry to be uh, this dark about the situation right now. Uh, you, you have two choices in life, and that is to fight or to check out. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you have two choices in life, to fight or freeze or fornicate. Uh, maybe come to terms with reality, maybe meditate, maybe spend time with your spouse, spend time with your children, spend time with your parents, with your friends, maybe have a sense of your own fallibility, maybe check into reality and have a sense of, you know, what is your ability to change things in the news? It's virtually nil. So getting obsessed, Prager wants you to get obsessed about all sorts of things that you have no power over. Right? It's a recipe for losing. It's a recipe for frustration. It's a recipe for unhappiness. It's a recipe for ineffectiveness. It's a recipe for destroying your relationships. Right? It's just absolutely terrible advice. Normal people put their focus on things that they can change. You can't change what's going on in the news. It's not a fight we wanted, it's not one we started, but it is one that has come our way. And that is what you need to do. Ideally, you get your kids out of the schools that are poisoning their minds and their souls. The, the schools are poisoning their minds and their souls. On what empirical basis? Right, kids who go to public schools, right, uh, half of them still end up voting Republican. Uh, more than half of them end up getting married, having kids. 90% of them plus lead a law-abiding life. At American public schools, pretty close to the best in the world. Almost all the best universities in the world are in America. So uh, uh, what basis do you, do you make the argument that public schools, by and large, in general, overwhelmingly are poisoning the minds of kids? Like, w- what's the symptom? Where's the empirical evidence of some dramatic statistical difference between kids who go to public school and kids who go to private school? Guess what? Just like parenting doesn't matter that much as long as the parenting's not abusive, all right? Uh, where you go to school doesn't matter that much. It'll matter for some people, all right? right? It, if you go to one school, it might be a horror experience for you, all right? So 
for maybe 20% of people, 30% of people, maybe it's incredibly important where they go to school. But generally speaking, you know, people who go to Cal State Northridge or Harvard or Sierra Community College or you know, some Christian college or Christian high school or versus public high school, it doesn't make a statistical difference in people's life outcomes, right? Plenty of kids who go to Orthodox Jewish day schools or Christian day schools go on to be secular and gay and vote Democrat. Plenty of kids who go to public schools end up conservative, heterosexual, married with kids, right? We, we don't have strong statistical evidence of significant differences in life outcomes between people who go to public schools and, and private schools. Their hearts, their consciences, their ability to think. Most schools are, are worse than wastelands. They are poisonous. And where's the evidence for this? There, there isn't any. It's, it's, just, it's an astonishing thing. However, the, we sold our soul in the early 20th century when we said that the government should educate our children. That was when we sold our soul. You're supposed to educate your children, and if you cannot personally do it, then you get people you trust to do it, which is what was done until the 20th century. If you read the letters... You want to know what's poisonous? It's this show. It's the things that Dennis Prager is saying. That's absolutely poison. All right? So compared to the average kid's experience of public school, and what I've been hearing from Dennis Prager after listening to him for the first time in years... Right. I would say that what Dennis Prager has to say is far more poisonous than what I would expect the average public school student receives. Of Civil War soldiers back home, you will read an English that is superior in people who never went to high school than the English that is written by most college students today. And in any event, they won't even have to write it. They'll just go to chat. Oh, so the problem is the kids, you know, today they can't write English. That depends on their IQ, right? Guess what? Different groups have different capability with the English language, right? Some groups are highly capable with the English language. Other groups are basically illiterate. Like some second, third generation immigrant groups are basically illiterate in the English language, even after they've been in the United States for two or three generations, right? So this is virtually nothing to do with public schools. This is overwhelmingly a function of IQ. It's a function of genetics. It's something that was pretty much set at birth. Right? If you can't read in America today, the odds are 99 to 1. It has absolutely nothing to do with our public schools. You have a, you know, you have a, a moronic IQ. That's why you can't read. At GPT or some other artificial intelligence site and say, write me up a paper on 18th century France and the roots of the French Revolution. And the paper will write it, and the college student will change some words so it isn't obvious that they got the same exact answer as the next guy, and that will be their education. Yeah, that will be their education because the educational system is just so stupid it won't be able to tell the difference. And we've only had ChatGBT for, what, a, a few months now? So it's not like Prager's talking as though this has been going on, on for years. So I, I cheated in high school. I'm not proud of it, but I cheated in high school. Some kids will, will cheat. But whether or not you're competent using English language, it's not going to primarily be the result of you know, this or that ill-advised decision. It will primarily be a function 
of your intelligence, which is largely set at birth. The speed with which a society, the freest in history, could be crushed, could lose its freedom, is quite uh, astonishing, I guess. But Ronald Reagan said it, we are always one generation away from losing freedom. The arrest of... Freedom isn't some absolute category, right? You, like, civil rights legislation definitely increased freedom for oppressed minorities, and it came at the cost of freedom for the majority. So blacks in general received many more types of freedom as a result of civil rights legislation and gays and, and women and some other minorities received you know, some extension of freedom. The majority received a significant reduction in freedom and for other people it was mixed. So living in homogeneous communities became much more difficult after civil rights legislation. So for some people that was a tremendous cost. Right, It really reduced their their joy in life, their ability to thrive, and you know freely pursue their heart's content. For other people, right, it was it was a blessing. So freedom is not like one absolute thing that you either have or you don't. Freedom is multi-layered, right? Freedom is competing, right? If you extend freedom for the majority, right, so that you have majoritarian rule, the majority will have more freedom, and in some areas, minorities will have less freedom. So is, is a country that goes in a majoritarian direction, such as India, under Hindu nationalist rule? Is India more or less free than it was 20 years ago? Well, for the 80% majority of the country that is Hindu, it is overwhelmingly more free. For the 20% of the country that is not Hindu, for much of that, they are less free. But you can't say overall that India has received you know, a massive decrease in freedom. If America moves in a similar majoritarian fashion, the majority of Americans will be more free. Their freedom, increased level of freedom, will come at the cost of some minority freedom. So these things are weighed in the balance. Some groups win, some groups lose. When you expand certain freedoms, you reduce other freedoms. If you give people freedom of association, then you reduce people's freedom to not be discriminated against. If you give people the freedom not to be discriminated against, you curtail the freedom of the majority, you curtail freedom of association, you curtail you know, basic human instincts. Of a former president and the leading presidential candidate of the opposition party is supported by the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the Seattle Intelligencer, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, in other words, every Boston Globe, every major newspaper, every major network except for Fox. They actually support it. That is a good point, right? There is almost universal mainstream elite media support for this indictment of Donald Trump. But even with this overwhelming elite uh, consensus in the news media, they can't, they can't even pretend that this Alvin Bragg indictment just released today against Donald Trump is an impressive piece of work. Why wouldn't they? They'd probably oppose the, the arresting of dissidents in the Soviet Union. Wow! That's the, uh, that's the response. That is appropriate here. one prager 776 if you'd like to react to this. 877-243-7776. Do not follow your hearts after which you prostitute yourself. Great warning of the Bible. That if you think emotionally, 
you will prostitute yourself. That's the real Hebrew. They don't translate it accurately most of the time because it, it's... Yeah, so sometimes it's a really bad idea to follow your heart. Sometimes it's a really good idea to follow your heart. It's not like following your heart is always good or always bad. It's not like expanding freedom is always good or decreasing freedom is always bad. Some people are better off in some situations with less freedom. Some people are better off in some situations following their heart. In other situations, they're better off not following their heart. Some things you want to get advice on and you want to act within your communal consensus. You know, occasionally you want to be brave and, and do things individually. So it's not like, oh, there's just a choice between democracy and dictatorship. All democracy contains dictatorship and all dictatorships are fallible and have weaknesses. Nikita Khrushchev, supposedly, he was the dictator of the Soviet Union. Well, he got overthrown and John F. Kennedy outmaneuvered him in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you think uh, dictatorships you know, are so great with all the guaranteed rights and freedom of, to gather to worship and freedom of movement. Well, all these freedoms that we took for granted just got taken away just like that in dictatorships all around the first world during COVID. So there isn't this antithesis between democracy and dictatorship, right? All dictatorships have, you know, elements of democracy or democracies have elements of dictatorship. You know, freedom for one group means less freedom for another group. These things are constantly competing. Sometimes following your heart is a great idea. And sometimes following your heart's a terrible idea. Some people destroyed themselves with more freedom. Other people flourish with more freedom. That's it. Take care. Bye-bye.